Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be six foot ten. That's right, six foot ten. Not seven feet, not eight feet, but six foot ten. All of my heroes back then were six foot ten Ted Cassidy, Richard Keel, Dave Winfield, and Big John Studd. If you don't know whom any of these people are, look them up. You'll find out what they did and how tall they were. You'll also find out Richard Keel was more like seven foot two, but hey, close enough. To me, being six foot ten meant I could be a professional wrestler without having the physical stigmas of giantism. Anytime I sat and watched wrestling with my dad, I knew I wanted to be a part of those men in tights, body slamming each other on the mat like they were somebodies in a world full of nobodies. The old man and I could tell right away who were the chums and who were the sharks. I wanted to be a shark. The sharks did what they wanted. They were usually the biggest and tallest of the bunch. They were guys like Ernie the Big Cat Lad, Killer Khan from Mongolia, actually from Japan, Gorilla Monsoon, Blackjack Mulligan, and Giant Baba from Japan, actually from Japan. They were all shorter than Andre the Giant by a few inches, and even though no one could ever really hang with Andre, I didn't want to be like Andre. Being seven foot four and over 500 pounds is a lot to live up to. Every night, before I went to bed, I made it my business to ask God to make me six foot ten. All I wanted was to wake up a little bit taller every morning. If he could grow me so I could be one of the tallest boys in the class, I'd take that in the meantime. It would mean I was on my way to wrestling stardom. Six foot ten overnight was a lot to expect from God, seeing as he had other matters to tend to, like world hunger and all. The tallest boy in our fourth grade class was a boy named Javier Jimenez. He was probably five foot seven, and that was pretty tall for an 11-year-old boy, because he never took advantage of his height and was a genuine good soul most of the time. The other kids called him Big Bird. I didn't envy that part of being the tallest kid in the class, but there's a price to pay for anything that's worth having, or so my dad always said. I was probably the fourth or fifth tallest kid in the class, but that wasn't good enough for me. I wanted to be number one. My unshakable faith in God and his generosity led me to believe a growth spurt was waiting for me right around the corner. To avoid getting tagged with a nickname like Big Bird, I decided it would be smart for me to choose a name of my own making before spurting to the top of the fourth grade class. Wrestling was just one of my passions back then. My other great passion in 1982 was video games. And it wasn't so much the playing of the video games. My poor hand-eye coordination made me suck at playing them. As it was, the aesthetics of gaming. It was all about the artwork of the gaming characters. 
the sound of the 8-bit synthesized music in the background and the stylized designs of the full-size stand-up cabinet arcade machines. I could peer over a good player's shoulder all day as long as I could stay immersed in the sights and sounds of the arcade. This second-hand excitement saved me a lot of quarters back then. The money I didn't spend on gameplay, I spent on wrestling and video game magazines. I found the name I was looking for in one of those video game magazines, or maybe it was a newsletter of some sort. But the article was titled, Computer Software News, and it read as follows. GameStar is announcing several new sports-oriented computer games for the Atari 400 and 800. Later in the year, they will introduce the ultimate sports fan, Dutch Dugan. Planned as a series, The Adventures of Dutch Dugan, it will be geared toward older teens and adults. Extensive use of animation is planned. And there it was. Just like Mark Wahlberg said in the movie Boogie Night. I see this name in bright blue neon lights with a purple outline. And this name is so bright and so sharp, you know, like it can cut glass, that the sign just blows up because the name is so powerful. It says, Dirk Diggler. Well, my sign said Dutch Dugan, but you know what I mean. Dutch Dugan was going to be my wrestling character's name if I ever made it to the big time. And yet, something was missing. A point of reference, a model for my character. I needed a flesh and bone basis for Dutch Dugan. Someone I could visualize. It came to me a week later while I was watching the 11 a.m. WWF All-Star Wrestling Show. Dutch Dugan, my alter ego, would look like Big John Studd. Like I said before... Big John Studd was six foot ten. He weighed three hundred and sixty-five pounds. A mountain of a man who looked like he could chop down trees without an axe. There weren't too many wrestlers his size in the eighties, so he was a natural to challenge Andre's status as the one and only true giant in wrestling. And so a rivalry was born. Thing is, every time Studd claimed he was the true giant in wrestling, Andre would get pissed off for real. Not only did Andre hate Stud's claims, he hated the way Stud entered the ring, crossing his leg over the top rope, just like Andre did. And it didn't help Stud's cause that he truly did want to be considered the true giant in wrestling. Big John Stud wanted to be the bigger star, and so went out of his way to prove it. It wasn't like there was ever really a question as to who was the taller of the two Goliaths. Andre was said to be seven foot four, but was actually, according to his French passport, more like seven feet. Some say maybe even less, owing to wrestling's propensity to exaggeration. A picture I saw on the internet of the two behemoths standing side by side shows Andre was a bit taller than Stud. But none of that mattered to Big John Stud. Incontrovertible proof or not, everywhere he went, Stud continued to say he was taller than Andre, bigger than Andre, and tougher than him, too. I have to tell you, I liked Stud's attitude. He may have been delusional thinking he was the real giant and all, but he didn't give two flying rat tails what anybody thought. He may have been a few inches shorter than Andre, but he carried himself like he towered over the man. 
And that was the mindset I chose to use when I realized I wasn't growing as fast as I would have liked to. If I couldn't be six foot ten, I'd act six foot ten. Because most of the boys in my fourth grade class were wrestling fans, one of us, it might have been me, hatched a plan to start a wrestling organization of our own. It was up to each one of us to come up with our names, character descriptions, and finishing moves. We would wrestle each other in the schoolyard during our after-lunch recess. The idea was to keep a running tally of our wins and losses. One of the toughest boys in the class, a kid named Gus, had already deemed himself champion, so he was the one to beat. And not beat, if you knew what was good for you. Everybody in my class knew me as Dutch Dugan, the big man, who went around proclaiming himself the true giant of the fourth grade. Poor Javier had to put up with me calling him out during recess to fight the true giant. Playing up the heel role and borrowing a page from Big John Stud, I also challenged Javier to try and body slam me. This was pretty stupid on my part, as Javier was probably strong enough to pick me up and slam me on the asphalt of the schoolyard. Javier didn't want to have anything to do with our wannabe wrestling organization, so he just ignored me. Maybe that's what Andre should have done with Stud. Just ignore him. But how do you ignore a guy whose entire shtick is declaring himself the true giant of wrestling? On top of his declarations, Stud offered $10,000 to any wrestler who could body slam him, boasting no wrestler had ever slammed him before. The prize was later raised to $15,000. In March 1983, Andre the Giant got his shot at trying to body slam Stud, but it wasn't quite as easy as it should have been. Just as Andre was hoisting Big John Stud off his feet, manager Freddie Blassie latched onto Stud at the last second, adding an extra 230 pounds of weight to Andre's load. Andre tried to lift Stud twice more, but each time Blassie grabbed onto Stud, thwarting Andre's efforts and diverting his anger to Blassie instead of Stud. Andre shoved Blassie, and all the cash Blassie held flew into the grabbing hands of the jubilant ringside crowd. With Andre's focus on Blassie and the swirling cash, Stud seized the giant's distraction to attack him with kicks and punches until Andre quickly recovered and cleared the ring of Blassie and Stud. What a great way to add fuel to the feud. It was a feud that lasted four years and might have kept going if it wasn't for the ultimate clash of the Titans that was Andre versus Hogan. All roads were leading to that monumental match. Big John Stud fell to the wayside. John William Minton was Big John Stud until 1986. He retired from wrestling for two years before returning to the squared circle in 1988. Upon his return, Big John Stud feuded with the Heenan family. Bobby Heenan's stable of wrestlers and Bobby himself over Heenan's newfound alliance with Andre the Giant. Since Andre was now a heel, Stud had no choice but to go babyface. Even though I never bought Stud as a babyface, he still carried himself as a big man and he never stopped using his finishing move. Stud's finishing move is second only to Blackjack Mulligan's claw in my book. John Stud was known for Two big finishers, the bear hug and the torture rack. These are both tall man moves, but the torture rack is the one that looks like it is the more painful of the two. 
The torture rack is the one I used on one of the smaller kids in my class who got involved in our short-lived fourth-grade wrestling organization. So I basically picked poor little Eric up, draped him across my shoulder, and pulled down on both his shoulders until he cried uncle from the excruciatingly crunching pain. When I tried it on our class champion, he somehow slithered his way off my shoulders and onto the ground. When he was on his feet, Gus landed a solid punch to my chest that discouraged me from ever wanting to apply the torture rack to anyone ever again. Well played, Gus. Well played. I guess the allure of the torture rack was the idea of a tall man giving his tortured opponent a view of the world from the big man's angle. A moment or two to see a point of view he might not otherwise have seen. It's a horrific way to gain perspective, but Big John Studd did it better than anyone else. There are probably less painful ways to gain that kind of perspective. You don't have to get placed in an over-the-shoulder backbreaker. Maybe just talk to a tall person. Even though the lunch recess wrestling ended a few days after Gus's devastating chest punch, I held on to the Dutch Dugan moniker for years and years. No one actually calls me Dutch Dugan. Up until this revelation, most people wouldn't have known about my little alter ego. I don't know. The name screams six foot ten and promises a legend. Maybe it's the legend of a six foot ten lumberjack who picks the meat from his teeth with deciduous tree branches and wrestles grizzly bears for fun when the locals aren't lining up to get their turn at trying to body slam them onto the floor of the forest. There's $10,000 to be won, maybe even more. John Minton died March 20, 1995. He died of Hodgkin's lymphoma at the still young age of 47 years old. He was a true legend, a giant among giants. Every wrestler I've ever heard talk about him says he was a genuinely nice guy. So that means that he had a big heart to boot. In case you're wondering if Big John Studd was ever body slammed, the answer is yes. King Tonga did it in 1986. He held the big man aloft quite a few seconds in the air and dumped him onto the mat. Slam. The crowd went wild as an astonished and shaken. Big John Studd staggered out of the arena looking back at King Tonga's victory dance. Everybody gets his or her reality check eventually. Today, I'm only five foot nine, but I'm okay with it. The average male height in New Jersey is five foot nine. It doesn't make me special, but it doesn't make me a schnook either. I'm just your average somebody who's somewhere in the middle. And that's not such a bad place to be. Uh, yeah, Ariel, is it? Yes, Ariel. Yeah, can you read it again, but this time, not with the Ray Liotta voice thing you were doing. Can you, like, uh, try to be yourself? Can, can you try that? Um, yeah. Okay. Myself. Uh, I'm gonna, I'll try to be myself. You've been listening to Wrestling With Heels On, only on the Sports History Network. Join me in two weeks, maybe, for another stroll down Villainy Lane. As far back as I can remember. Stop. I always want to stop. What are you doing? Sorry. I, I, I can start over.
This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday's Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.